Welcome back to The Constitutional from ANU College of Law, the podcast that takes you for a wander around the beautiful Australian National University campus with some of its most interesting and inspiring people. I'm Alex Sloan and my guest today is a definite favourite among students. Margie Rowe teaches family law after a long career practising family, community and youth law. But that's just the beginning of her contribution. She teaches in a number of clinical programs, including the Youth Law and Legal Aid Clinics, and is involved with the Kimberley Community Legal Service Hot Desk. So more on that soon, but let's get walking with Margie Rowe. <laughs> now, where are you taking me? I'm actually going to take you to the Youth Law Clinic, where I and the clinical program that I run takes place, and that's in Legal Aid, ACT, so that's right on the edge of campus. And we're going to go via the Kimberley Community Legal Services hot desk so that you can see the students um, at work in there. Is this the kind of adage of give a busy person a job? You've got so many roles. <laughs> I think what's lovely, Alex, is that I get to do what I enjoy, so it doesn't feel so much like work, does it, when you're enjoying what you're doing. And, um, and I think that students here at ANU are really motivated to contribute to justice causes and to advancing social justice and it's very easy to want to harness that enthusiasm and commitment and facilitate that. Now Margie I'll ask you the question that I've asked all my other lovely walkers on this um, constitutional podcast and that is well tell us the life story and and, and why why law? Uh, Why law? Because my father made me because he didn't think back in those days this is 1978 when I started uni that an arts degree would get me a job. Um, So Alex, I always wanted to be a journalist. I think that's probably one of the biggest regrets of my my life. You now have two daughters that are journalists. journalists. Yes, and a son coming through who's going to be a journalist. So one might think that I've affected them in some way with that. That's not to say that I haven't loved my career in the law. Why did you want to be a journalist though? I think because I, I love people and stories and finding out about things. And that sort of influenced, I guess, the kind of law I was interested in doing. So um, the law subjects that I was interested in were the ones that involved people and social um, situations and uh, human rights and family law, of course, um, would be the pinnacle of, of that description. So I was never very much interested in corporate law or tax law or even constitutional law, although that's had its moments. So I think that's how I... I um, parlayed my interest in in aspects that were um, relevant to journalism into what I did as a lawyer. And no regrets, though? Well, I think if I had my time again, I'd be a journalist. But I think I've had a lovely and very rewarding career as a lawyer. I watch my daughters and I just love the idea of being paid to read newspapers and watch um, news on TV. (laughs) Dutiful daughter, good student that you are. You did law. Where did you do law? Here at the ANU. And what was the course like? I found it quite difficult, not so much um, intellectually. I came from Queen Bean, I grew up in Queen Bean, and in those days Queen Bean may as well have been a thousand kilometres from Canberra. We came into Canberra once a year on the bus. And so when I started, there were a lot of Canberra kids here, and I didn't know anybody. And I felt really quite on the outer. I mean, that's kind of a privileged picture you're putting up. Yeah. yeah. But funnily enough, I was feeling so out of my depth and so desperate for friends that I, um, I walked up and made an excuse to talk to this young woman who was sitting on the, uh, outside the law school. And um, 
that's Willie Corby, and she's she, that was over 30 years ago, and she's my best friend still to this day. <laughs> so it had some, it had some um, good things as a result. Loneliness will push yeah. you to great places. Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> funnily enough, I end up with a lovely cohort of friends, but we're all the regional people and the rural people. So Orange and Goulburn and Wollongong and. So it's like the New South Wales contingent hung together. Now, we are at the front door. Yeah. Tell us where we are. We're coming into the Kimberley Community Legal Services hot desk. You better, you better go and meet them. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Alex. I'm Amy. And what are you doing here, Amy? Um, I volunteer at the hot desk. Um, I've been here since the beginning of the year. So what does that mean to volunteer at the hot desk? Um, it means that we get tasks from the solicitors at the Community Legal Centre in the Kimberley and um, we work through them and try and apply something that we've learnt. And, and what are you working on at the moment, in, just in general terms? I'm looking at the oaths of allegiance that different people in the legal profession have to make before they can take on different roles in practice. It's often required to pledge allegiance to the Queen or, and um, that can be a problem for some people who are in solidarity with Aboriginal people. And so we're looking at all the different affirmations and oaths that, that people make. That's really interesting, just in, in, in light of... The, oh, you did that beautifully. Just in light of the whole citizenship debate, that's, yeah. that's brilliant. Thank you, Amy. And I'll just come over... Liam, hello. Hi, how are you going? And what are you doing? I'm looking into an estate matter. Somebody passed away and um, has left a great deal of money and the question has become whether or not our particular client is entitled to the sum which her mother had left to her. So we're looking into sort of estate law um, and whether the informal agreement between our client and her mother can be followed through um, following her death if um, a letter of administration was passed. So it was just a question of whether or not the informal agreement would be conducive to the law. And what do you think of this role? How useful is doing this kind of work as a student, basically volunteering? I think there's no point in coming to law school if you're not going to get industry experience as you're studying it. You're learning really complicated concepts and you're sitting in lecture theatres and going back to your colleges. And, I mean, what's the point if you're not actually getting industry experience? And I think when that industry experience is for community law and for Aboriginal people, then it's particularly worthwhile. So I'm absolutely loving what I'm doing so far. Above your desk is the IATSIS map of Indigenous Australia. Yeah, it's really lovely to look at. It's something nice because the room is otherwise stark. So I always choose this particular desk so I can um, have something to look at to give me some context. Thanks for this surprise meeting. Thanks so much. <laughs> no worries. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so, Margie, this is what this is staffed all during the week. Yeah, um, aren't the students amazing? Because while um, we're talking about we're going to see the clinic, this is not a clinic yet, um, and may never be. And the students are completely volunteering their time in here for no credit at all. So, and it's staffed all day, nine till five. And it's linked, as you can see, Alex, um, through the computers with the Kimberley Community Legal Services um, service so that the students have access to all files. And um, they're supervised in their work by the lawyers from KCLS who are in Kununurra and in Broome. And um, there's regular Skype sessions and report backs. And I bet they never talk about the weather. <laughs> they don't, except when you see them on Skype, those lawyers are always in um, sleeveless tops, you know. <laughs> so you can see what the weather's But what like. a fantastic... Uh, it is. And one of the things that I think has been really great is that um, some of the students... Some of the students are actually doing internships with KCLS, so that is for course credit. And some are doing remote internships by working in the hot desk, and some are going up to Kununurra and Broome and um, a lot of the interns are working on the aspects of the coronial inquest into youth death in the Kimberley which is taking place right now 
And, it's um, a national tragedy, isn't it? It is a national tragedy and it's a repeating tragedy because there was a previous inquest about 20 years ago that, that was dealing with the same problem and nothing's changed. But the KCLA solicitors are representing quite a lot of the families involved and um, have called on the students to research and, and write about particular aspects. And that's fabulous because I think the work of the students is going to be used or inform the submissions that KCLS makes to the coroner. So it's really connecting their work with, with real-life stuff that you know, you're hearing about on the radio. So who started this? How did this? Judy Harrison, my colleague Judy Harrison. Um, and in fact, Judy, when I started Legal Aid as a very young practitioner, Judy was my, my boss there and has been a, a mentor and an inspiration to me um, and continues to be so. And so she's a woman of amazing energy, amazing lawyer, and she's got this all together. And when people, you know, they cast off universities as ivory towers, here's a really great example that kind of the real argument against that. Yes, exactly, exactly. The students can do this because they're calling on what they're learning in their degree. And I think it's really great when you get a sense as a student of the fact that you know more than you think you know. But sometimes it takes doing it in this context to make you realise that. But back, Maggie, I think, to, to your story. So when you've told the story about you decided early on legal aid was going to be for you. Oh, I did. I did, Alex. That's um, So by the time I got to the end of my degree, I knew that I wanted to do family law and I wanted to work at legal aid. So a lot of students don't know what they want to do in the end and, um, and I think that, that you have to try things to get that sense of what you like. But I was fairly sure about that. Sometimes you can be sure about those things and... Then you try them and you realise this is actually not for me at all. Was there a catalyst that made you sure? I'd done women's studies in my arts degree and I'd, um, that was a, a real sort of um, awakening up course for me because it gave me the words to articulate things that I saw and felt but hadn't been able to, to articulate before. And that sort of led me to, to look at family law, I think critically and from the point of view of how it dealt with violence and women. And so I... I was a feminist and I thought that there were women that needed help and um, I wanted to do that. So that's why I suppose it was, it was a fairly definite thing for me. Pretty pure motivation if you ask me. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it, look, you know, selfishly, it comes back to that, um, who doesn't like helping people? And, um, and it comes back to that desire to work with people and, and hear people's stories and and have that as an aspect of my job. So you immediately, you applied for a job, but you didn't get it? No, I didn't get it, and I was devastated because I was so sure. How could they not be so sure? (laughs) I really was devastated, and I felt at that point that my career was coming crashing down. So anyway, so I I did that, and I had done a placement in a a lovely little firm in Queen Mary, my hometown, called, at that time, Murphy and Moon, and um, they offered me a job, and I took it, and... You know, that was the most wonderful, I think I was there for two, maybe three years, most wonderful experience because I got to do everything, criminal law, family law, wills, estates, and so I got such a, such a good grounding across multiple areas of law. So it was kind of perfect, you had to, not that you were parking your idealism, but you had to kind of just practically go into yes, it. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's right. And I got to represent a lot of people, and in Queen Mary we had to do the the duty lawyer at the court every week. And the Queen Bean Court was a, quite a nice place in those days. Um, you know, there were a lot of customers and um, people would go and get fish and chips at the morning tea break and eat them in the court foyer and, <laughs> and got to know people very well because they were usually back and forth to court every week. 
So it was lovely and it was my community, having grown up there. But it also put me in the path of legal aid, so I, I volunteered to go and speak at a refuge talking about New South Wales um, domestic violence laws. And um, also there was a solicitor from ACT Legal Aid talking about ACT laws. And we got chatting and she said that she wanted to take six months off, but they wouldn't let her because... I had nobody to replace her, and, and I thought, well... Hand. Your hand shot up. <laughs> I did. I thought, I'll do it. And it did mean giving up my full-time job for a six-month contract, but I was prepared to take that risk. And, uh, in fact, the funny thing was, Alex, that when I took the contract, so naive was I that I thought, surely there can't be enough domestic violence need in Canberra for a six-month contract. But, well, yes... How often? 30 years later and now it's a, a two-solicitor enterprise, you know. So um, I was a bit naive. And, of course, that job was a complete eye-opener as a result. But it's what I wanted to do. So you were, you know, your goal was legal aid and once you got there you knew, yep, yep. okay. I did. And then I, I guess I was quite ambitious in those days. I'm a bit of a control freak. So my next goal was to be the head of the family law section. At legal aid, and um, is it important to set goals like that? Well, it seemed to be important to set that one. I mean, I do feel a bit like an avenger for women victims of domestic violence, and I think I had started to realise what a good lawyer could do, and how to be a good lawyer. And I wanted to have control over that process, I suppose, and to influence the way that family law services were delivered. But it took me five years to get there, which was okay. And, you know, I can remember sitting in the the big head of section office and sitting back in my chair and thinking, I'm here. You got there. (laughs) And about the next week I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, oh, congratulations. (laughs) Yes, well... It was certainly a mixed response. And so in those days, of course, people can't imagine this now, but there was no email, no internet, I don't think. And I had my baby and I had six months mat leave and I wanted to come back part-time. Only not working Fridays, but don't things change when you have a child? I felt like I was so ambitious and so committed as a lawyer and by the six-month mark I had totally fallen in love with this little baby girl and I didn't want to leave her. Um, I wanted to have a good three days with her. And legal aid work was unpredictable and demanding. So there were a lot of urgent cases. It wasn't necessarily a case of coming in at nine and finishing at five. Anyway, so I was allowed to step down from being head of the section and just be a lawyer and work part-time. You couldn't be in charge. So no flexibility? No. No, no, not even my, my suggestion that I could, you know, talk stuff over the phone maybe. <laughs> so no flexibility then. And so I looked for another job and that made me move to the government. And that was fabulous because I worked on a big domestic violence law reform project. Again, Judy Harrison appears as somebody I work with on that. And that project, um, over about two and a half years, recommended... Um, the Family Violence Intervention Project, which is the basis of the current approach to family violence in the ACT. So it was really rewarding work, it was fabulous work, and I really felt like I made a contribution in a quite different way than client by client 
And in amongst that, I had my second daughter. <laughs> so the public service, you, you've made this comment, I think, before, that it can be a really fantastic refuge for particularly working parents. Oh, yes, totally. Alex, I mean, the women I met there, they were brilliant and they were amazing. And some of them have gone on to really influential positions. But at the time I was there, it was like a collection of, of part-time mums, all drawn there by the fact that we could work flexibly and not spend all our time away from our children. I think the nature of the work, too, not having um, urgent client matters, it was more manageable. I mean, it just seems, and I know some workplaces are still struggling to get there, but if you've got people with expertise and they need flexibility for their families, they're always going to put in, it's going to work out. Um, that was, that's so true, Alex. And, in fact, we didn't gather around the water cooler having chats. We didn't have... We maybe had, you know, 15 minutes for lunch... We worked our butts off and I'm sure that we did five days work or at least four days work in those three days. We're now on the edge of between town and gown, Margie. We are between town and gown. Well, we're on Childers Street, aren't we? So we're coming into the, the lots of residences here, lots of uni residences, and we're coming up to Legal Aid and the Youth Law Centre, which is well located to, to service all these students, a lot of international students in Uni Lodge and also close to the campus, lots of ANU students use the Youth Law Centre. So these are well-trodden paths for you? They are, yeah. <laughs> With family law, and I guess this is what everyone asks you, I mean, must be the most harrowing part of law. What, what, how do you answer those questions? It can be, and you can see some and hear about some awful things. Um, and I certainly urge students that I teach to not be dismissive about the importance of strategies to take care of yourself but there's so much reward in it. The key for me is that if I can do something about a situation, it doesn't matter how horrible it is, I can handle it. There's the situations that were horrible that I couldn't for whatever reason do anything about. Those are the hard ones to um, take away, they're the ones that wake you up at night, you think about those clients, you know, down the track down the years. They're still with you? Yeah, I can still think of them. But, you know, the other thing I notice, Alex, there's so much nobility in family law. It just brings out the best in people. And I have to sort of say, um, predominantly over the course of my whole career, I acted for women. You know, I was just so impressed by their capacity to put their children first, overwhelmingly the majority of them. It's a great big word to use, nobility. nobility. It is, isn't it? But I just looked at them sometimes and thought, your life's turning to shit. You've got a situation here where you hate this other person, rightly so. You're being ripped off financially. You've got every reason to be bitter and twisted. And you are capable of putting that aside because the children want to see their dad and, and her view is that it's in their best interest. And I, I think that does sort of rate up there as nobility. Yeah, I often say that to people who've had divorces and have put the children first. And I went, there's a real, there's something very great about a good divorce that oh, thinks of there, the children first. There is, there is. And it's particularly great when both parties are doing it, you know. It's harder. And I guess that's where I think of nobility is when it's only one party against, you know, some, some quite... We're getting out of the favorite. cold now. We're... Now we're going into ACT Legal Aid. <laughs> Here we are in this little room with, um, where you can't see out of. This is where we run... A legal aid clinic for our postgraduate students at Legal Workshop, and so that's really great. And what we do here is, we come here every Monday, and you can see um, there's our list of clients up there from 
from Monday, and we do um, what are called duty interviews every Monday. So, so I'm looking at tenancy, car accident, yeah. guardianship issue, roof repair deposit, yeah. Yeah. action against it. school. What a lot of people don't realise, although although you say it's pretty fully booked, is that anybody can come in for a half an hour um, legal advice at Legal Aid, so anybody. And it's like a bit of a triage, so some clients will feed into legal aid to be represented, some we can solve the problem on the spot. We can do some minor assistance, write letters, make phone calls. Some we refer off to private lawyers, others we just set up to do their own matters. So we do all of those interviews on Monday, so it's one way that we at Legal Workshop try and make a, a I guess, a pro bono contribution to the work of legal aid. There's so many, I mean, journalists don't get to sort of solve the problems, but you're getting to hear the stories, which is what journalists do. So yeah. there, there's so much of your job that is a similar to... Well, I've, I've tried to make it as much like journalism <laughs> as I could. You, you then get to actually <laughs> fix things or help. And, and, and the fixing thing is, is very satisfying. In fact, one of my, you know, for all my years in family law, one of my most satisfying cases came out of this clinic and was to do with a, a carpet <laughs> for, with, for two um, little old people who, who were um, really being ripped off by the um, carpet supplier. So, you know, after after 30 years to have as the pinnacle a $7,000 carpet case, but it really was because they were so disempowered and so feeling so bullied and so helpless in the system and um, they got their $7,000 back and, and I get a Christmas card from them every year. <laughs> See, that, Maggie Rowe, that just tells me everything about you, that that's the case that kind of, you know, means the most, those yeah, two people... Well, well, I, I think it's that, and Heidi's the same, I, I've got to say. When you see vulnerable people, um, you want to protect them and you don't want them to be ripped off and you want the law to work. You know, we, I took them to the tribunal and, and you really cross your fingers that, you know, you make a good enough case and the tribunal does the right thing and in this case it did. And, um, mm. and, and I think the, the rewarding thing from that was that how empowered they felt, that it just changed how they felt as older people in society. And a gorgeous story about lawyers too, the fact that you get a Christmas card from those two people because oh, you don't right. hear those nice stories about lawyers. And there's a lot of rewards when you were asking me before about family law and the, the harrowing part of it. There's uh, a couple of years ago I, I got, had a woman running up the wrong way up an escalator to come and give me a hug and, and she was a client from a long way back. And as I say to my family law students, that doesn't happen in corporate law. <laughs> <laughs> now the Heidi we're referring to is yeah. the fabulous Heidi Yates who we've bumped into in the office. And Tell me about this job. Alex, I'm Head of General Practice here at Legal Aid ACT um, and part of that role includes the work of our Youth Law Centre where we have our fantastic clinic operating in partnership with the ANU. Oh, it's such a great opportunity for the students to come in and to see Legal Aid but also we want Legal Aid to be a place where everyone knows they can come for help and advice and support and so telling young people who are currently studying about that, they're telling their family and friends and others, we want to make this place a place where the community feels safe and open coming to asking for help and the clinics are part of that. So so this is a role that you, it's kind of one you always want to do. Was this in your sights as a, as a young law student, Heidi? Absolutely. I actually had the pleasure of doing the Youth Law Centre program back in 2004, so 13 years ago. <laughs> and for that clinic, it was, I know for many of my fellow students, their first exposure to issues around homelessness, around domestic violence, around the common civil disputes that many Canberrans experience. And that it's not just people, you know, in a particular socioeconomic bracket, or on Centrelink benefits who are experiencing these issues, it's all of us. It's our neighbour, our sister, our families. So Youth Law Centre was a great opportunity for 
students to come to have direct contact with people's stories, to understand that whilst the law theoretically applies equally to all of us, understanding of the law and ability to um, put your evidence before the right court or tribunal is really key in getting just outcomes. So having direct access to that as a student, I remember, was eye-opening. This was before your day, Maggie. Yeah, this was before my day. I wasn't, I wasn't Heidi's teacher, although Heidi and I have worked together and crossed paths, you know, all, all through Heidi's legal career anyway. But I think Heidi's absolutely right. And I think that, as you would expect, Alex, um, there's a lot of privilege in being an ANU law student. And harking back to my original comment about thinking I'd run out of domestic violence work after after three months, you know, until you see it here, there's a very limited understanding of, of what privilege they and we have and what disadvantage exists here. So the, the academic teaching is equality before the law, as Heidi said, and then you come here and you can really critically analyse how that doesn't play out in practice. Do you love the, the student part of it, Heidi, as a former student? Is that something you get a real kick out of? Absolutely. And wearing another hat, I also have the privilege of teaching one of the other legal clinical programs um, down the road at Canberra Community Law. Uh, having been in the sector for a fair number of years, it's incredibly refreshing to have contact each semester with a new group of students. I find their fresh eyes on old problems uh, helpful. I find that they're willing to challenge us in the way that we engage with clients about how we run our services and what kinds of matters um, that government programs prioritises for legal aid funding in, in new ways. So it's a particular highlight for me in my work here at Legal Aid and at Canberra Community Law. We were just talking about Margie's early experience of becoming a parent and then the kind of attitude about work-life balance. What's the case for you? I think um, finding balance between parenting responsibilities and work is one of the most difficult things I have ever had to weigh up in my own life. Uh, when you're in an environment like the legal assistance sector where there is so much demand and every half hour you can spend it with a client might be a half hour of help they otherwise aren't going to get. Balancing reasonable work hours and talking to my team about self-care in the context of what can be very challenging work is difficult. Is that you're big on this, aren't you, Margie? I am, Alex, because that's what drove me to university in the end, that my third child and being in private practice and realising that life was going to go on with me spending very little time with with any of my children. So when I had a, I had an 18-month-old, a 5-year-old and a 6-year-old and, and that's when I spat the dummy and went, thought I'd need a job that accommodates 12 weeks of school holidays for starters. Mm. Having children who hated... Um, school holiday programs didn't help. <laughs> oh, they're all such fantastic kids. <laughs> and, and when I went to uni, I, I really did think it was going to be a stopgap until I could get them to like school holiday programs um, and I could spend a bit of time with them and grow them up a bit more and, and off I'd go back to practice. But I ended up loving it so much, I stayed. Well, in fact... Actually, Heidi, I'll get you to because I know that Margie won't. But can we talk about her? 2016 was a very big year for Margie Rowe in terms of her career and awards. Because she, tell us about the awards. Margie um, is well-renowned for her achievements in the ACT legal sector. For myself and many other lawyers, over decades she's been a mentor and an inspiration. Last year, you may be aware, she received um, and was recognised in the ACT Women Lawyers Awards as an outstanding women lawyer in the ACT. Uh, you should have seen them awarded on the night, Alex. There was a claim across the room. Many people stood up to applaud Margie's work. And she's such a humble sort. She's never going to blow her own trumpet. That's why I got you to do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I cannot possibly overestimate the number of people in the ACT community who have benefited from Margie's advice as a lawyer, as a friend and a colleague, but also as a lecturer and a teacher over the years. She's an outstanding person in our community and a dear friend of mine. She also received, no, just be quiet, Maggie Rowe, because she also received an ANU College of Law citation for teaching excellence in 2016 as well. It was a very big year. Indeed, and well-deserved. Okay, you, you. front up to this. Okay, that's the excruciating bit over. Come on. We had to deal with it. So, Alex, coming down here is our Youth Law Centre. This is Catherine Rymers. Catherine is the solicitor in charge of the Youth Law Centre. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Tell me about your role. I'm, I'm walking around with Margie. We're just doing a profile of um, the fabulous Margie Rowe. So you can put your $100 in if you like. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well, well, it's, it's wonderful done? working with Margie. Um, so I'm the supervising solicitor here at the Youth Law Centre. So um, Margie and I work together with... Um, uh, the different students each semester. We've currently got um, 20 new students who've started in the last week. That's um, a big responsibility. It is, yeah, but it's um, a lot of fun. The students love it. We train them well uh, and they love getting into the work. Catherine does the training. I mean, well, I run the seminars and we talk about their week in the Youth Law Centre in the seminars and so I can sort of give them guidance and get them to be reflective about what they're doing. But Catherine's here on the spot with the clients and with the students. And there are some of the students. I can see them. And, Head, um, heads down. Yeah. <laughs> or heads looking front to <laughs> screens. <laughs> um, and I suppose not all universities would have these connections and these facilities. Uh, not all universities would, no. And, um, and we've, AMU and Legal Aid have just had such a long and close relationship. And Legal Aid has been a big facilitator of us bringing our students here. But the other um, thing I love about this is that the Youth Law Centre relies on the students, doesn't it, Catherine, to be able to have the capacity it does. So even when we're not running the course, we make, put out a call for student volunteers to staff the summer holidays and the winter holidays, and we always get enough students to do that, and they're not getting any course credit. But it's essential because they work here as paralegals, they see clients. Catherine gives all the advice, but they really add to the capacity of the centre. This is where all the book learning hits the road, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's lovely to see, particularly through the seminars, and you would no doubt see Catherine through discussions with them, their developing sense of, of social justice and their developing ability to look more critically at the law, drawing on all the theory and all the academics, but putting that together with practice and being able to, to understand that, that the way it actually works is not necessarily how it's presented in lecture theatre. I couldn't think of three more impressive women to be taught by. Imagine getting an education along these lines, Heidi. Yeah, it's great too. I think for students to have access to a whole different range of lawyers too in the clinic. So you have contact with your lecturers, obviously, but when the students come in here, they're sitting in on interviews with lawyers from across legal aid. They had that chance to think, oh, would I have asked that question in the same way? Or, oh, he was a bit direct. Or you seem to have made the client cry. I wonder if that was so. It encourages them to think about what kind of lawyer might I be and who might I model myself on. There are so many careers like you know nursing and physio and medicine where you're out there from your really first or second year having access to real people with real experiences. Of course, lawyers can graduate after five or six years of study and have never met a client or operated in a work environment. So we think the clinics are a great opportunity for people to test run their sense of what legal practice is like and it can help them to make decisions about whether or not practice is for them. For me, this is like the law at its best, I guess, and it's so wonderful to see the students being able to experience it, like the 
the clients and the people that we help here in the Youth Law Centre and at Legal Aid, uh, just that, that sense of, you know, that rewarding sense of being able to help people. Thanks for all you do. Okay. Thank you very much. And then we'll just walk home, will we? OK, we'll walk home. I just want... Uh, there is something else I... Oh, no, I'll be taken wherever you want to take me, Maggie. Um, thank you, <laughs> Lovely Catherine. to meet you. Thanks so much. Thank Bye. you, everybody. Now we're in the echo, echo chamber. Um, because we've been talking about clinics, um, Alex, and, and I was just thinking as you made that comment um, about the three women, mm. um, Heidi, myself and Catherine standing there, it just um, jogged my memory to also talk about um, the clinical program we run in Myanmar, which we started... Oh, I was going to ask you about this, yeah. We ran for the first time this year and the thing that jogged my memory about that was that women are... Uh, far and away um, law students in Myanmar. It's a low status occupation in Myanmar, so probably about 97% of law students are women. And women were in the university I was at, occupied all of the senior positions. 97% of the teachers were women. But it was lovely to stand with the, the vice-chancellor, the, the dean, the deputy dean, the head of school at this law school, and, and they were all women in their beautiful longies. And so it was a that was also a, um, we took 14 ANU students over there and the purpose of that clinic was to go into um, Myanmar universities, which have been very closed off until recently, to teach the students taught, both law students and law teachers, concepts of access to justice and how to develop community legal education and um, ethics and um, professional responsibility and and they made wonderful friends and we all learnt a lot about Myanmar culture and legal system and, and I thought that was a, another rewarding experience for the students. What was lovely was to see the students step up in quite challenging circumstances, um, language difficulties, electricity going out all the time. I mean, you couldn't... You, there's no PowerPoints or anything like... No PowerPoint presentations, no computers. Every resource that you're going to use in class you have to make yourself... Um, so the students were busy most nights, you know, creatively making the things that they were going to use to teach with the next day. And it had to be interactive teaching because you can't stand up and lecture to students whose English is not very good. So that was great. And I, um, <laughs> I laughed because the students were spending a lot of time preparing for their classes and I thought I hope you I hope you appreciate us lecturers more now. Yeah. <laughs> well that is a very good eye opener isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah but they, they got a lot out of it. We all made a lot of friends. We all came back with about three hundred new Facebook friends and we still keep in touch with the some of the students and so I keep in touch with some of the teachers at Dagon University in Yangon. Maggie it's where we've come to the end of our our, our walk, our brisk walk. Um, you came to the university because of that work-life balance, you know, with three children yeah. and thought, you know, I'll escape to the university. But you've kind of found your pet, haven't you? Because you oh, clearly yeah. are a brilliant teacher. Oh, well, that, Alex, thank you. Sometimes I, I come out of class and think that was good. And sometimes I come out and think, oh, what, what went wrong? So it's ups and downs. Um, it's hard not to respond to such wonderful students, and they are predominantly fabulous and they want to learn and, and like I said you've seen the commitment um, in a lot of them volunteering their time but yes I do I do love it I love it for the student content I love the flexibility in hours so you know you can work 
Um, I love the fact that it's outputs based. You've got to teach a certain amount and do certain things. And um, if you want to do them at eight o'clock at night or yeah. three o'clock in the morning. You talked about being goal oriented. Are there any goals that you still uh, you want to hit? I wouldn't mind hitting retirement. <laughs> really? Are you a retirement retirement no, person? No, I, I probably. There's so many things I'd like to do. So much travel I'd like to do. I think in terms of goals, Alex, I would like to expand the opportunities that we've been talking about all through this discussion for students. And I'm starting to be able to do that a little bit um, because I also run the internships program which places students in workplaces. I'm trying to expand that and, um, uh, of course, you heard about this, the interns going to Kununurra and Broome but also in Canberra, there's plenty of other places for them. It's just such an enhancement to their understanding of the law and their education to be able to mix the real-world stuff and the things they're learning in lecture theatres. So I think that's my goal, to increase those opportunities. Do you get to walk out in this camp? I mean, you, you've got those trodden, well-trodden paths, as I said. <laughs> but um, do you, just this physical campus, do you love the beauty of it? I do love the beauty of it. Um, I do try and walk over here to buy food just to give myself a walk. I'm often reminded when I come in um, how beautiful it is. I love it in spring and what I love is that sometimes people think students are a bit jaded and, and academics are a bit jaded and in spring all the ducks have little ducklings <laughs> and the swans have little cygnets and there's people lined all along the bank of Sullivan's Creek over here taking photos of the little families. And, and kind of a message of renewal and yeah. Mr Chips like, you yes. know, the new ducklings. Yes, we're all caring about the ducks and I think that's a lovely commonality to, to have put in front of your eyes when you arrive at work in the morning. Margie Rowe, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Alex. <laughs>